A big day is finally here. The kids are all excited. The parents are all tired. And the front of the church looks like my house, like a cyclone has gone through. Has it been a big day for you already today? In my family, Christmas meal happens on the 24th, on Christmas Eve. And it is also our tradition that whoever is hosting the meal also hosts everyone to sleep over. <laughs> and so it was my turn this year. And last night we had 21 people sleeping all over the place on the floor. And all of them expected a cooked breakfast this morning. It is a tradition that goes back a very long way and a tradition that stops for no one, not even for people who become pastors and have to get up and preach the next morning. My brother-in-law, um, who's here, he once decided that he might like to break with tradition and he felt that it might be nice to sleep in his own bed on Christmas Eve and wake up with just the four people that he loved the most around him he thought it might be nice to wake up at a reasonable hour in the morning and to open presents together with his family in a kind of organised way. But it only lasted for one year. And then he had to bow to the nagging of my sister, his wife, and the whining from his three girls and extreme pressure from the rest of the family and so now he is back sleeping on the floor in someone else's house, <laughs> being dragged bleary-eyed at six o'clock in the morning out to the lounge room to sit in front of his in-laws in his pyjamas, with them staring back at him looking equally bleary-eyed, taking turns in throwing wrapping paper at my father. That is the reality of Christmas morning in our house. What is the reality of Christmas Day for you. For many, it will involve a lot of cooking and a lot of entertaining of guests. Or for some of you lucky people, you will just have to pack up the car and travel off to someone else's house to be entertained and to enjoy their hospitality. Maybe Christmas Day is less hectic for you. Maybe it's a time to sit and reflect. We all have our own realities, don't we? What is this image up here on the screen of a baby lying in a manger mean to you? What is that reality for you? Friday night, two weeks ago, we were present as a church in the park at the Carols in Manningham. And we were there together with people from all of the churches in Manningham. And our craft people were run off their feet making angels and baby Jesus in the manger and Graham and Linda supervised the games and Wes and Rose drew a big crowd with their drumming. But we also had what we called a nativity photo booth, just a simple nativity scene and lots of dress-up costumes for people to come and take their own photo for their own Christmas card. And we had no shortage of takers there. And I didn't really feel at liberty to take images of anyone else's children up close, but you'll have to put up with mine. But if you check the Manningham leader, they didn't feel any such qualms and took photos of everybody. So I hope they used some of our photos. But the predominant reaction to our nativity scene was, oh, 
isn't that gorgeous or isn't that so cute? And it got me thinking about what the reality of the nativity scene means to each one of us. What does it mean to you? Is it merely just a cute representation of an ancient story that we pull out every 12 months and then pack away again? Does the baby Jesus remain forever in your mind just the baby Jesus, conveniently small and helpful and inoffensive? I think that we all know that that is not reality. Babies grow up and the baby Jesus, like all of us, grew up and like all little boys he became a man and like all men he died and even the form of his death by crucifixion was not really that unusual for the time after all there were others around him who were also crucified but this was no ordinary baby lying in a manger this baby would forever change the course of history because unlike any other man He died without sin, and on the third day he was raised to life again. Now many parents, when they have a new baby, choose to make a birth announcement. And in the past, this was always the domain of the newspaper columns, and so you would be familiar with this type of birth announcement. But more likely these days, you'll see something like this, a photo card sent to family and friends to announce the birth of a new baby. Baby Jesus also had a birth announcement, but it was like none other that you would have seen before, and it arrived quite early, some 700 years before he was born. And it came in the the form of a very well-known prophecy, and it's found in the book of Isaiah, and I'm going to read it to you now. From Isaiah... Chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now you probably couldn't pack more than what you find in verse 6 of that reading about the identity of this baby into a single sentence if you tried. And we're going to pull it apart a little bit this morning, and I'm not sure we're going to get much further past just that one verse, verse 6, because I don't want to be responsible for overcooking anybody's turkey. But we'll begin with the first line. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Did you pick the subtlety in that phrase? A child is born, a son is given. A child is born. That's the humanity of Jesus. Born a child, and with the exception of the virgin mother and the the stable setting, he was born in much the same way as we all are. Small, 
fragile and pretty helpless. The child was born, but the son was not born. The son was given. Why? Well, the son existed long before the child was born. John's Gospel tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. Jesus was not a son in the sense that he was some kind of male offspring formed from the union of Mary and God. In fact, you could say he was the only son in the world ever to have been born older than his earthly mother. Jesus was the son of God in the same way that Judas was known as the son of perdition. And the disciples James and John were known as the sons of thunder. It didn't mean that their father's names were perdition and thunder, respectively. Their fathers were actually Simon and Zebedee. What it did mean was their identity and character came from those words. Perdition means destruction, ruin and waste. And that was the identity and character that Judas took on because it was Judas who ultimately would betray Jesus to his death. James and John were known as the sons of thunder because they were very fervent. They were impetuous and they had a kind of righteous anger about them. And so Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Thunder was their identity and character. What was the identity and character of this new baby? His identity was that of God. He took on the identity and character of God. He is God made known to us, Emmanuel, God with us. The son, therefore, cannot be born because he has existed since before time. The son can only be given, born in a stable, laid in a manger, and given at the cross, fully human and fully divine. So I want to ask you again, what do you see when you look each year at this little manger scene before us? Do you see only the child who was born? Or do you see that shadow of the cross that looms over that manger scene? And do you see the son who was given? The son who reigns and rules in a kingdom unlike any other earthly kingdom, for he rules and reigns now in the hearts of those who put their faith in him. When he returns in all his glory, the physical and the spiritual realm will become one, and then we'll know his kingdom in all of its fullness. The prophet goes on to list a string of names by which this baby would be known. And the first name doesn't just hint at the divinity of this child. It is like having some great big pointing arrows saying, here he is, he's God. Because the name wonderful is only ever used in the Old Testament to describe God or to describe the works of God. 
So for this baby to be called wonderful is like turning on those great big flashing pointy arrows to say this one is God. The word translated as wonderful in English is the Hebrew word pele. And the Hebrew was what that Old Testament part of the Bible was written in. And it means miraculous or supernatural. And when God parted the Red Sea so that Moses could lead the children of Israel through the Red Sea, when they got to the other side, Moses and his sister Miriam sang a song to God and they described his works as Pele because they were supernatural, they were wonderful. As our counsellor, he counsels with divine wisdom in a way that no earthly counsellor can because his counsel is Pele, wonderful, miraculous, supernatural. And the results of his counsel far exceed any earthly expectations because they lead to eternal life. And there's another reference to this word in the Bible that we don't easily pick up on, but that I'm sure the Jews would not have missed. And to find it, you have to go back to the time of the Judges, to Judges chapter 13, to a man called Manoah and his wife. Manoah and his wife wanted to have a child, but they had been unable to. Until one who is described as a man of God and looking like an angel, very awesome, appeared. And he appeared first to the wife and then to the husband, Manoah, to tell them that they would soon conceive and give birth to a child. And after hearing the news, the husband, Manoah, wanted to know the name of his visitor so that when this prediction came to be, they could honour him. And the angel's reply and Manoah's reaction speak volumes to this cute little manger scene. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And then a flame comes down from heaven and the offering that Manoah had placed is taken up in fire and the angel of the Lord ascends in the flames. And Manoah and his wife fall on their faces, realising who they have just been talking to. Manoah turns to his wife and he says, We surely shall die, for we have seen God. This little baby with that very same name as God, wonderful, Pele, given that this name is used exclusively for God in the Bible, says only one thing. God would come, he would take on human form, and he would for a time walk the earth with us. The second name that this passage speaks to is that of Mighty God. And in the language that this was originally written in, Mighty God is El Gibur. El meaning God, Gibur is the mighty part of it. And it is a word that has military type flavour to it. It is used in 1 Samuel 16:18 to describe David. And there it is translated as warrior. And in this name, we see that this little baby lying in the manger was not a weak and helpless child, 
but he was a warrior or a hero God. He would fight for us, and fight he did, ultimately conquering death, conquering the grave and rising victorious. This same warrior God will one day return triumphant and claim his bride, the church. Will you be ready? Or will you be still ooing and ahhing each December at the baby lying in the manger? The most controversial of all the names in this passage is that of Everlasting Father. Because many people have tied themselves up in knots saying, well, if, God's, if Jesus is the Son, how can he also be the Father? It's highly unlikely that Isaiah in this passage ever intended this passage to speak about the Trinity. The clues for what he did intend come, of course, from the context. And if you jump back a couple of chapters, chapter 7 and chapter 8, you will see there that the Lord, the Son of God, is speaking with Isaiah, telling him about his own trust in God for himself and for the children that God has entrusted to him. This child who would be born in the stable, laid in the manger, would be the father to many. He would protect and provide for them, and he would lavish upon them the unconditional love that existed between himself and the Father. Ultimately, he would protect and provide for them with his life, protecting them from the wages of sin and providing them with life forever. The final name that is given in this passage is that of Prince of Peace. And many would look around them today and scoff and say, how can this child be the Prince of Peace in a world that is so full of war, so full of destruction and so full of people fleeing from war and destruction? But that is not the kind of peace that this little baby would be the Prince of. And in spite of what you think, it is not the kind of peace that we see plastered all over our Christmas cards. When you send one of these cards, you're not sending them a wish for the end to war or the end to violence or the end to persecution. The words on these cards echo the words of the angels who appeared to the shepherds to announce the fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy and this birth notice that was delivered to us. When they appeared, the angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. The kind of peace he provides is about an end to enmity, but it's not about an end to enmity between men. It's about the end of enmity between God and man. That kind of enmity has existed from the time sin entered the world. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So when you send a card with a greeting of peace on earth at Christmas, what you're really saying is that you hope that the recipient comes to faith in Jesus 
so that through him, who is the Prince of Peace, they will be reconciled to God. Peace with God is the greatest gift of Christmas. So take another look at the manger scene before us here today. What do you see? Do you see just the child who was born, cute and helpless like any other human child? Or do you see the divine son who existed before time and was given? Do you see the one who is wonderful, God incarnate? Will you take his counsel this year? Will you let the warrior God be your hero this year? Will you let him pour out his everlasting fatherly love upon you this year? Will peace reign in your heart as you put your faith in him and are reconciled to God? Or will you pack up the manger scene after Christmas, put it away in a cupboard, forget about it until we drag it out again next year and ooh and ah at the children dressed up and the cute little baby lying in the manger? Now, there's one lucky chair somewhere in this building. Somewhere under one of these chairs, I have placed a small little gift like this. So if you just want to put your hand and feel along the front edge of your chair, and if you're sitting next to an empty chair, you might like to um, put your hand under the empty chair as well, in case that one happens to be the lucky chair. I know where the lucky chair is, and you haven't found it yet. Bingo, we found the lucky chair. <laughs> Elijah, you can keep that. What this chair here represents is the manger scene. This little chair represents the manger scene, but it also represents the cross, and it represents everything else that happened in the life of Jesus. But what our passage said to us this morning is that that's not all there was to the life of this man Jesus because he existed before time so all of the people behind me and on this side of the row represent that part of his life the part that was before time that represents the son who always exists and this part down here represents the everlasting father the father who will always be for each one of us there's another lucky chair somewhere in the room but doesn't have a present under it because I've got it right here because it would have been confusing if two of you pulled cards at the same time. This chair is right down the back here. If you wouldn't mind standing up, you can take that. This chair, which is actually only half a chair because they're sharing chairs right down here, <laughs> this chair represents our life on earth. There's only one chair and everything that you do in life happens here. Your birth, your death and all, everything you do in between. The good, the bad and all the rest of it. But as you can see, there's many more chairs in front of this chair. And the problem is that each year we go around in circles, which is very hard on half a chair. 
and we get to the manger scene and we ooh and we are ah all over again and then we put our head down and we keep going round in circles with our head down, working, 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 playing, playing, playing. Oh, it's Christmas again. Oh, look at the cute baby. And we don't stop to think about all the rest of these chairs that are lying in front of us because when you die, that is only the end of your life on earth but it's the beginning of the rest of your life. Will you, this year, stop and think about what that little manger scene represents? Will you accept the wonderful counsel of Jesus? Will you allow him to be your hero, your warrior God? Will you look beyond the child who was born and see the son who was given for us, who died for us? Will you allow him to be your everlasting father? And will you accept the peace that comes through reconciliation that only Christ can bring through faith in Christ? If you don't know Christ today, then I urge you that once the reality of today, the chaos that today often brings for families, once that's out of the way, allow yourself some time to explore who this child really is. If you have a Bible in your house, read the Gospels, see the life of the child, learn about what he did here on earth and what he offers you forevermore. If you don't have a Bible, there are some sitting over there. Please feel free to take one home. They're marked for you with a page marker where the, the Gospel record is and we'd like you to take that as your gift today. But for now, the reality of today awaits us. There are lunches cooking, there are guests to be entertained. So we wish you all a Merry Christmas and a very safe and prosperous New Year. Sarah, would you lead us, please, in our final song? Ed. We're going to sing again that song, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. Yeah.
Son of God, He born to bleed. A crown of thorns would pierce His brow, and we beheld this offering. Exalted now, the King of Kings. Praise God for the hallowed taking time out on a busy day to come and worship with us. Those of you who had little bags for the children, if you would mind just taking out whatever they've done and leaving the bag here, we use them during the holidays for our, our, our kids, but you can feel free to take the, the work that the kids have done home. Now as we depart, may the peace that only the son who was given can bring dwell in your hearts this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.